0: The Medical School Headquarters Podcast, session number 152.
1: Hey, this is Z Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. All right, welcome back. Thank you, as always, for joining us. If this is the first time you've joined us, an extra thank you to you. If you're a returning listener more power to you. The The fact that you're listening to this puts you uh, way ahead of uh, those students around you as far as being prepared for the whole application process, the medical school process, and just life as a physician too, which we talk about on here often. So I congratulate all of you. Today we have uh, a returning guest. We have Dr. Rivera from NYU. He came and talked to us Already about his the the three year program that NYU has, and uh, we'll we'll mention that uh, in a little bit as well. We'll talk about the progress of that, but today we're gonna uh, dig into the multiple mini interview, which I think is a a big stress for students, and so we'll we'll hopefully demystify that for you. I know. Uh, listening to a lot of students and and getting questions from a lot of students that is uh, one thing that stresses you out is the multiple mini interview and what to expect really because it it is newer for for the admissions process and the interview process so we're going to dig into all of that dr rivera welcome back to the medical school headquarters podcast oh thanks for having me ryan so last time we had you on session in 90 uh, session 96, which if you're listening to this, you haven't heard that go to medicalschoolhqnet slash nine six. But we talked about going to medical school for three years, a three year MD program. And we talked about some other residency stuff as well. Has there been any updates on, on your front from that discussion?
1: Yeah, it continues to be a very popular pathway for our students. Um, one of the biggest updates uh, since the last time we spoke is that we started with an opt-in option. So before, the only way to get into the pathway was to apply before medical school to the three-year pathway and then identify what residency you wanted to go into. Uh, now we've also added an additional option for our currently matriculated students to enter into the pathway after their first year. So it's you know really all about giving folks options, and, and some students aren't ready to make the decision before they apply, I mean, you know before they get into med school, and others need a little bit more time and you know that that helps students with, with their decision as to which residency they'd like to pursue
0: so to, just to update or clarify before uh, your your previous application process is applying during the normal application process but you had kind of had to uh, pinpoint what career you wanted right yeah because you would match into the residency as well
1: exactly so you know there are a lot of three year pathways out there but we're the only one that allows you to choose any one of the residency spots uh, residency programs that we have and the application process is typically you'll apply through the standard AMCAS application system you'll apply first to the four-year pathway if you're accepted into that pathway then you have the option of applying to the three-year pathway and so if you feel that for example uh... neurosurgery or dermatology or pediatrics are the choice for you then you can apply for the three-year pathway The way that works then is you come back to NYU, you interview with one of our residency program directors in the field that you're interested in. And then just as the match process would occur a couple years on the road, they will rank the applicants. And then we will then send out acceptance offers to the three-year pathway, um, usually towards the end of April. Um, And uh, so in the past, that was the only way to enter into our three-year pathway. Now, students can defer that decision until after they've completed their first year of medical school here at NYU. And so then if a student says, you know what, I thought I wanted to do OBGYN and after having gone through the first year and having rotated and and, and done some electives with the OB folks here, it's confirmed my decision that that's what I want to do. Now they have an additional entry point uh, where then they can pursue the same exact application process and graduate in three years.
0: Okay, very good. Are you, are you allowing the first-year medical students any increased exposure to those residencies to get an idea of if they want to apply?
1: Yeah, I mean, all our students, uh, three-, four-, and five-year dual-degree uh, option students all have extensive opportunities to interact with faculty from all different departments. You know, its uh, I'm, I'm a pediatric radiologist, and I've had several first-year students who have already rotated uh, with me in pediatric radiology to confirm that the interest is, is genuine. So it's something that we not only offer but encourage for folks. Um, and I think it's important um, because people do, some folks, want to be able to get to their careers a little bit earlier. There are uh, multiple benefits to doing the three year uh, MD pathway for those students for whom it makes sense. Some of the benefits uh, include having um, a mentor in your chosen field from day one. So, you know, one of the examples I like to use is we have a student who is doing the three-year pathway with a uh, residency in plastic surgery. Her mentor is the chair of the department who is an internationally recognized expert in face transplants. So you can imagine uh, the impact that having such a mentor is going to have on this woman's career path and the ability to open doors for her as things move down the road. Um, So that's one big benefit. Another benefit is, of course, um, time and resources involved. So uh, folks um, seem to think... That from a financial perspective, it only saves them a year of tuition and fees and so forth. And, and so they say, okay, the typical cost of attendance is about, let's say, 78 grand. So that's really what I'm saving. But that's not really true. If you do um, sort of like a true financial assessment of the situation, you look at the net present value for that decision, you have to realize that you are now... Over the course of your lifetime, you have an additional year of attending-level salary that comes in. You no longer have to pay for traveling expenses to do your interviews and apply to different residency programs. And when you crunch all those numbers looking at average first-year physician salaries, um, you end up getting uh, a value to this decision somewhere on the order of between two hundred and $300,000 over the course of one's lifetime. So
0: I'll take it. Significant. Yeah, me too. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about… Uh, some new changes that you have with your interview process. So not just the three-year school, but overall, you have recently made a big switch in how you interview the applicants to determine if you want to accept them. Mm -hmm. Can you you talk about the decision from changing uh, your whole application process or interview process?
1: Yeah, so you know, I have been on the committee for many years here um and uh, when I started off I actually started as an interviewer. Um and I think that's kind of where the seeds were planted if you will. I you know, I I noticed um some positive things about the standard one-on-one interview and some negative things. Um and and to me it it, when we're looking at applicants, we really, and I, th- I think all med schools do this, you're looking at applicants in a holistic manner. Um, you look at every aspect of their application. I, I like to, to, uh, to take into account that EAM model that comes out of the AAMC, um, looking at three big categories. Namely, uh, an individual experiences, you know, what have they done to shape who they are? Um, The A is attributes. So what personal attributes, uh, personality do they have that suggest that they're going to be great physicians at the art of medicine? And then, of course, the M is metrics. So how have they done academically in in terms of their coursework uh, by way of their GPA and on the MCAT exam? Any one of those things is insufficient in order to say who's going to be a great applicant. And you really need all of those things. So GPA and MCAT are reasonably good predictors for academic performance, at least in the preclinical years, but they don't really tell you how applicants are going to be in in what is broadly called the non-cognitive arena, which I like to liken as the difference between IQ and EQ, right? And emotional intelligence is critically important nowadays. And so in the past, what uh, med schools across the country have done is if they've interviewed to identify those factors that we think are critically important for uh, aspiring doctors to have, namely strong communication skills, uh, integrity, ethics, professionalism, uh, being able to convey a sense of empathy, and so on and so forth. Interviews are okay for that, but when you look at the literature, you realize that there is uh, there's equivocal evidence for its effectiveness. And by that, I mean that if you look at the reliability, how oftentimes things are consistent over time, the iterative reliability varies too widely for um, such a critical piece of the admissions process. You know, and um, I've seen student surveys where uh, people have raved about how much they love their interviewers, and sometimes they didn't like the person that they interviewed, and they just didn't click. And it shouldn't really come down to chance, whether you get into a specific medical school, if you get unlucky and get paired with Somebody who is very dissimilar from you, somebody who is having a particularly bad day, um, somebody who has an axe to grind, right? So there are other factors that that make the standard interview not as good as it could be. Um, And for example, the other issue is the concept of bias, both positive and negative, right? So people can review applications and the applicant's portfolio, their academic metrics, what they've done will anchor interviewer's rating even before they've met the person. So a really strong, um, GPA and MCAT, um, may predispose that interviewer to think that the person is going to do better on the interview than they actually do. Conversely, somebody whose GPA and MCATs are good, but maybe not like phenomenal may have an issue showing how good they are with people because they get anchored in the other way. So those are things that we are trying to avoid. And, uh, the way you can increase interviewer reliability is twofold. So one is to inc- add structure to the interview by using standardized questions. And the other way is to increase the number of encounters. And that's exactly what the MMI does. And that's why we moved to that.
0: And can you explain, uh, obviously, the MMI, the multiple mini interview, can you explain some of the the back history of, of where that started?
1: Yeah, so this started in Canada at McMass University, which is also a three-year medical school, by the way. Um, they uh, put together this multiple mini-interview process um, and launched it in 2002. They based it on the OSCEs that students do as part of their clinical training, the Objective Structured Clinical Exam. And this is essentially an OSCE for admissions. The way it works, uh, you know, I, I use this term sort of tongue-in-cheek. It's... It's like speed dating for interviews. So you go from station to station in short, discrete timed um, stations. Each of those stations will be looking at a particular quality or competency that we expect our students to have. And then you rotate through each of those in a round robin fashion until all the stations are done. Um, At NYU, we have eight individual stations that look at various attributes such as communication, uh, ethics and moral decision-making conflict resolution, teamwork, you name it. But we also have a standard 15-minute free-flowing interview so that we can have the best of both worlds. Because as good as the MMI is, and I, I am a firm believer that the MMI is a better system than the standard interview, nothing is perfect. And having a hybrid approach gives us the opportunity to have the best of both worlds.
0: So explain the the kind of hybrid. Is that Is that other interview built into one of the stations or is it truly like a separate part of the interview day?
1: Yeah, it's actually built into the the construct of the full MMI. So the way it works, you have seven standard eight minute long stations uh, where you have two minutes to read the scenario and sort of gather your thoughts, figure out you know, what you're going to say and so on. Then you go into the room and you discuss that with the Raider for six minutes. And you'll do that round robin. At some point in time, you're going to have this open station, which is, again, the traditional interview. It's twice as long. And it works out to be 14 minutes in length. And that interview is more free-flowing. It allows you to, um, to discuss with us why NYU would be a particularly good fit for you. It allows you to discuss aspects of your application um, that you would like us to know more about that may not have been as clear on the application as you would have liked. It allows us to similarly get clarification on various points in your application. Um, So it, it, it helps provide additional information to be exchanged between us and applicants in a way that the standard MMI doesn't allow.
0: Okay, so you are using it uh, uh, an open file technique for that station, but that might not be the same for other schools.
1: Mm, right, so because we've done that based on uh, surveys from applicants um, and surveys from our committees. So uh, you know our goal you know when we moved to the MMI was to create a process that was reliable that uh, had the predictive validity that we need for such an important part of the admissions process, and most importantly, to have a process that was fairer to applicants. And so uh, it's important to engage all, all the stakeholders, and, and the main stakeholders are the applicants that we have and the admissions committee faculty. And both groups came to the same conclusion that as great as the MMI was, they wanted to have a little bit of a... Of a slice of the traditional interviews, so that they could address those issues that didn't lend themselves to the MMI process. And once we've done that, the uh, you know favorability scores um, from both parties
0: increase significantly. That makes sense. Yeah. the The MMI is becoming very popular for medical schools. Do you know roughly how many schools are utilizing it now?
1: Yeah. Last time I checked, uh, there were. Over thirty schools that were doing it, uh, I want to say somewhere between thirty and thirty five which works out to be um, somewhere in the order of about twenty percent of u s allopathic schools, um, but it's increasing each year and there are, are at each of the AAMC national conferences, there are numerous sessions on the benefits of the uh, of the MMI there's a, a large body of literature uh, espousing Um, its benefits, talking about uh, its limitations, uh, and how it can be optimally employed. And one of the nice things about the literature is that though the literature uh, initially came out of McMaster and then eventually other Canadian medical schools. uh, When you look at it today, it's truly an international process. Uh, We've got uh, papers coming out of Australia, Korea, uh, the UK, Germany, uh, Saudi Arabia, Israel, you name it, Um, because I think... More and more schools are realizing that there are significant benefits um, to the applicants, to schools, and ultimately to patients to really standardize and improve the way that we interview
0: applicants. That's great. So I'm going to ask questions now as if I was the pre-med student and anxious to, to get an MMI interview. Shoot. What are you looking for from me uh, when I come and, and I'm going through these stations?
1: So, um, you know, one of the things I do want people to realize is um, that the system is fair for a variety of reasons. But one of the unique benefits of the MMI is, let's say you don't do as well, or you think you don't do as well on one station. Um, if that had been your only interview, if you didn't do well in one interview, um, that could have tanked your uh, your uh, option of getting into that specific medical school. With the MMI, with eight individual stations, if you don't do well on one station, you still got seven other stations, at least at our school, to do better. The things that we look for, we look for individuals who uh, uh, have that kind of interpersonal skill set, who can come into the room, make the rater feel comfortable, um, can adequately review the scenario at hand. Come up with a standardized approach at looking at things and display the broad competencies that we think are going to be essential for medical school applicants. And so there are a variety of different scenarios that we use. Um, communication, for example, is, is important. Your ability to coherently uh, express your views in a manner that is culturally sensitive, uh, in a manner that is easily understandable and nicely organized uh, is important. Um, Your ability to take in various sources of information, realizing that your initial hunch uh, may be perfect, may not be. And then as you get additional pieces of information, you're willing to incorporate that into your decision making process. In other words, that you can be flexible in terms of how you come to decisions that you can work well with other individuals. And that's a big one too for us because, you know, medicine is is a team sport nowadays and and, uh, people have to learn how to play nicely with with others in the sandbox. Um, And so it's important to know that the students we accept realize that optimal patient outcomes are accomplished through a team effort um, to meet patient needs. And then, you know, um, insight. Insight into your strengths and your weaknesses, we all have them, is critically important if you're going to continue to improve uh, yourself and be the best doctor that you can be. But, you know, you you started off this question, I think, by saying as a student, you know, I'm anxious to ask about this. And so anxiety is something that, you know, that I'd like to touch on because, you know, some uh, applicants have told me that they feel a little bit more anxiety over the MMI than they do over the traditional interview. Um, and, you know, I, I, I find that un- completely understandable because, You know, Any interview process is going to generate a good amount of stress, especially for such a high-stakes interview like getting into med school. But I also think that one of the reasons that the MMI engenders a a touch more anxiety than other systems is because of a lack of familiarity. Um, There was a study that came out of Canada that looked at different question types, including the hybrid system that we have, where they have a free-flowing format and then the traditional MMI system. And... In a country where virtually all of their medical schools use the MMI and students are intimately aware of the process, they actually found that the traditional interview uh, was more anxiety-provoking, less clear, and more difficult than the structured um, stations, which to me says, again, familiarity is key, and that's one of the ways that students can optimally present uh, prepare for this Um you know, one of my favorite sayings is that chance favors the prepared mind, um, and there are ways to optimally prepare for this. Um, if you just put a little legwork in uh,
0: before you get to the school, well, let's let's talk about that because that was my next question. How how do I prepare for an MMI for for a traditional interview? I can easily go and find lots of questions online and think hmm? about what I how I want to answer those questions. But the the MMI scenarios are are typically under lock and key, and so I can't really prepare for those.
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, I I think most schools will ask students to sign, uh, you know, confidentiality agreements that the the scenarios are not going to get out. But, you know, I think test security is not as important as as, uh, folks have made it out to be. Um, you can Google. Uh, Google is your friend here. If you Google uh, how to practice MMI, for example, you'll come across a list of different scenarios that you can use to practice. Um, you can, uh, and one site that I particularly like is the uh, you know, dummies.com site uh, that actually walks you through how to prepare for an MMI interview. I, I think that uh, you know, that's, it's a great system for, for folks to look at. In general, the, the key things people should be doing to prepare is prepare first the way you would prepare for any interview. And so that means, uh, you know, researching the school before you get there, identifying, you know, if the school is a good fit for you, what the school's mission and values are, seeing if that jives with who you are and want to be, be familiar with all aspects of your application. If you've done research, for example, be able to eloquently describe the research. Um, and, uh, do some legwork in terms of identifying what are the current healthcare and bioethical issues that are being debated currently. Right, so in the past we've had issues with um, the uh, Henrietta Lacks cell line that, that was, and the ethical issues that arose from um, the improper use of some of those cell lines. Uh, there was the issue a couple years ago uh, about that um, the parents of the that child who. Um, got bumped up on the lung transplant list and what the ramifications of that are. So you do want to be familiar with the uh, educational and the medical landscape, Affordable Care Act, for example, because some of the scenarios will touch on some of those topics. And then after you've done that basic sort of prep, then I would recommend additional steps to prepare for the uniqueness of the MMI. And uh, I think the first thing would be to practice with somebody else uh, that may be uh, a program that's offered uh, from uh, the schools, the pre-health advisors, uh, maybe meeting with a uh, friend of yours who's applying to medical school, and you guys will trade off being raider and an interviewee. In either case, you, you want to practice under timed conditions, right? So most of the MMIs will give you two minutes to to read and gather your thoughts. Um, and then between six eight, maybe 10 minutes to discuss that scenario. And when you practice uh, under timed conditions, make sure that when the timer goes off, that you stop and you go on to the next scenario. There are a bunch of different scenarios you can get online that you could use to practice. The other thing you want to do is um, develop a strategy um, for some of the stations that are out there. Now, I, I would caution folks not to get too caught up in the details of particular scenarios. So don't memorize um, what your response would be to a specific scenario, because then if you have a new scenario, you might get flustered if you can't recall that properly. What I think is more beneficial to applicants is to um, come up with sort of an algorithm in your head that you would use to address a specific scenario. So let's say um, the scenario uh, speaks to you having to confront a friend uh, who has a specific problem, how would you address that? So you're going to want to start off by saying, well, you know, how am I going to start that difficult conversation? Uh, And then, you know, what questions am I going to ask to, to get information about that situation? You're going to want to do that, figure out what the question will be in an empathetic manner. And then how are you going to react if the person gets angry or upset? And how are you going to suggest solutions to resolve the situation? So if you have that sort of general framework, that applies to multiple different kinds of scenarios. And so that helps significantly. Um, and you should just uh, practice as often as you can with other um, applicants. And I think that familiarity will be your friend here. Um, because when we've looked at surveys from applicants, often we find that applicants say that they were uh they may have been nervous to start off, but once the interview got started, that they actually enjoyed the process more than the standard interviews. And in fact, many people have said they wish they had more time to discuss some of the scenarios. So uh, the key thing is just become familiar with the process, know the way it works, be able to talk about a variety of different topics, as we said before, uh, with the knowledge of of medical and bioethical issues that are out there, and then relish the opportunity i know that sounds kind of weird uh but i know that my perception of interviews change dramatically when i realize that hey you know this is my chance to talk unfettered (laughs) for a while uh in some cases i get to talk about myself you know i i can't do that at home my wife is going to stop me um but here i can do that so um it's a great opportunity and I just came from a uh, a conference at, at a, an undergrad institution where people were asking me about um, what do I have to do? How do I have to uh, change my application so that I can get into medical school? And, you know, uh, I don't know if I used this analogy last time, but, you know, I that's not a question I like to hear because um, if you use an analogy uh, like, dating because, you know, people aren't getting married now at this age, but let's use a a concept of dating. Are you really going to ask somebody that you're dating, how do I have to change so that you like me? (laughs) Right? No. I mean, what you're really looking for in med school is like, okay, this is who I am. These are the things I value. And now I want to find a partner or a school that has similar values and values who I am. And so that's the process. So I think people sort of get themselves a little too anxious and trying to be who they're not when they forget that who they are is is actually pretty great and that you should try to play to your strengths.
0: I I think a lot of that comes down to relying too much on rankings of medical schools and wanting to go to what what certain publications say is the best medical school yeah and and i like to use uh, a quote I, I think i came up with it myself that says don't don't go to a great medical school go to a, a medical school that will make you great
1: exactly exactly because you know i not those rankings, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't really fully believe in how the rankings, you know, come up. There, there's some merit to that, but but ultimately, um, you really need to go to a school that, that fits your vision of who you are and who you want to be. Um, and no magazine can tell you what that is. The only person who can do that is you. And the only way you can do that is by doing some legwork and uh, really listening to your gut when you go to a specific school and say, yeah, you know this. The school is doing the kinds of things that, that I want to be doing when I'm a physician. Uh, they're dealing with the kind of patients I want to be taking care of. Um, you, you know, no one institution or magazine can tell you what that decision is for everybody.
0: Yeah. All right. So what is the biggest mistake that you see on interview days from, medical, or from the applicants?
1: uh you yeah, know there's a couple i mean you know i touched on 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 letting um letting your anxiety get the better of you um sometimes you know there are many but, but sometimes people may get flustered um if they don't if they think they don't do well at in one individual station and, you know, when we had our radiology boards, we would have to do uh, a very similar process. It was just longer. You'd go through individual stations, you spent spend 30 minutes with, a, uh, with an interviewer uh, who would go over cases. And we were taught right from the get-go, if you don't do well on a station, it, it should be, once you get out of there, like water off a duck's back. Forget about it. Pick yourself up and realize that you have all these other stations to pick up your performance. Again, that's a unique benefit to the MMI over traditional interviews. So, again, if you don't do as well, all is not lost. You've still got plenty of opportunities to do better. Uh, some people may actually uh, not do the legwork beforehand. And, again, I love that chance favorites the prepared mind quote. Uh, it If you come to an institution and you go through an interview and you don't uh, – even know where what their hospitals are, what their core mission is, um, or can eloquently state why they would be a good fit for you, um, that's not a, you know, a great finding in our eyes. Um, and, uh, and three is always remember that the interview doesn't just begin and end at a specific time. There are some people who, who have done really well in the interview, but have done some goofy things before or after and they don't realize that, you know, insulting the, the person who's changing, um, you know, the garbage can, that that may be a valued member of, of the process and, and, and knows people and says, yeah, you know what, this, this person didn't treat me with the kind of respect that I would like. And, and that's important for physicians because, you know, we, we're going to deal with people from all different walks of life. And you've got to make everyone feel like they're a valued member of society. Uh, that's one of the unique things about being a physician. When You look at other professions that not everyone can say that. And so that's that's a red flag for us. So, I mean, those are just some of the things we've noticed with regards to the interview process. Uh, there are others, but I think that those are some of the biggest ones.
0: All right. Again, Dr. Rivera, thank you uh, so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and and helping helping us pre-meds. I, I use us, um, even though I'm really not a pre-med anymore, but the pre-meds listening, um, helping everybody on their journey, helping ease their ease their worries and their anxieties and hopefully this will improve your abilities to interview well during an MMI and even during a a regular interview uh, a a traditional interview so amazing take this information if you have any questions uh, any suggestions any thoughts go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 152 and leave your comments there If you have any questions for Dr. Rivera, leave the comments there and I can pass them along to him if there's anything specific that we can't answer. If you got some information out of today's podcast and you want to make sure that you share it with the world, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes and leave us a rating and review. We would greatly appreciate that. But you know how you can help us even more? Go tell a friend. Go tell your neighbor. Go tell your roommate. Go tell your classmate any one of those people, go tell your pre-med advisor. I would love for that to happen. We uh, just passed 500,000 downloads of the podcast, a half a million downloads, which is phenomenal. And uh, it's, it's because of you listening. So thank you. As always, I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today. And I hope you join us next week here at the medical school headquarters.